Zero is the cipher. The cipher, it represents like a life cycle, you know, because a life is a cycle. You know, you have a beginning, then you have an ending. You have a start point, then you have a finishing point. So a cipher is a circle containing 360 degrees. So 360 degrees is like 120 degrees knowledge, 120 degrees wisdom, 120 degrees understanding to make a complete cipher. To make a person cipher complete, they can knowledge 120 degrees of knowledge, 120 degrees of wisdom, 120 degrees of understanding. 360, complete cipher. To me, the cipher is you in a whole. What you bring into your cipher and what you give out to the world. The number zero is important in that aspect. I wouldn't be here without my mother's cipher or my father's cipher. So the cipher is important. It's like it keeps the life cycle going. My grandfather was Clarence Edward Smith from Danville, Virginia, affectionately known as Pudding or Put by his friends and his family. He came to New York City when he was, I think, about 12 or 13. He hustled. He ran the streets. About time he became a man, like in his 20s, he had full knowledge of New York City. You know, the ins and outs from just being a kid in the street running around. So he always had that hustle about him. You know, he could hang out with the pimps and the pushers and, uh, you know, because that's where he came up under. By the time he got to become like an adult, a family man, you know, that's when his life started changing. That's when he kind of morphed into who he became latter. That was probably around like the 50s. But prior to the 50s, he might have had about 15, 20 years of street knowledge already, you know, just from being a kid coming to New York and being in the street. So the 5% is uh, poor righteous teachers of the planet Earth, you know. Um, 5% is uh, you and me, you know, people who's in search for the truth. You know, they're not trying to be spoon-fed, you know. They want to see things for what they are, the truth in things, you know, not so much as just, uh, you know, what people would tell you or just like propaganda. To me, being a 5% is being true to yourself first. You're not with the status quo. You're not keeping up appearances, you know. You are in full control of your life and you're aware of the things that's going on, you know. And... Being a 5% is it's part of your duty to teach. It's part of your duty to pass along, you know, the knowledge that you obtain to help you through your trials and tribulations. So anybody can be a 5% technically. It's not, uh, 5% is not like a, a racial term. It's more of a, a, a mental term. It's more of an intellectual term. How was my grandfather murdered and why? Well, I'm going to get to the latter part of that question. Why? I really don't know. I wasn't even born then, so I can't even fathom to understand why would he be murdered. But, I mean, let's be for real. We live in a world where, you know, people kill over jealousy, anger, greed. It could have been a number of them things. When he was murdered, he was murdered in um, 1969, June 13th, Harlem on 112th Street building 21 
and um, he was coming home. I think he was, uh, I don't know if he was out, if he was just hanging out gambling or he was um, at the school or whatever, but he was coming home. And when he got to my grandmother's building, someone stopped him and asked him for something. I don't know if it was a light or, you know, because, you know, they got his attention and he was distracted. And then whoever the, you know, assailant was, they had the opportunity to get up on him and kill him. You know, my grandfather had military training, so he never took the elevator. Like, it was weird that when they found his body, they found him in the elevator. But my grandfather always took the steps. My grandmother lived on the fifth floor, so he wasn't fond of elevators. He always considered them death traps. Like, you don't know who's outside the door waiting for you when you get off the elevator. But if you walk down the stairs and if someone's laying for you, you got possibly hear them or see them. It's not like you walking into a, the blindness, you know. So it was weird that my grandmother even told me that they found him in the elevator. He never took the elevator. The whole entirety that they lived there, he never rode the elevator. Why he was murdered, I have the slightest idea. For a long time, you know, people tended that, you know, the Nation of Islam was mad at him or, you know, he had, like, enemies from in the streets from where, you know, he might have messed up somebody drug deal or like you know because they want to put drugs in the, in, the, in the neighborhood and my grandfather was like adamantly against that why you want to poison your own kids you know why you want to poison your own people so he was dead set against that you know at that time we never know you know i don't know it could have been because of that it could have been i don't i don't believe the noi had anything to do with it at all i just I really seriously doubt that. I don't feel it. I don't, it don't make sense to me. Because at the end of the day, he was still teaching their lessons. He was still bringing growth to the to the nation. Whether it's the nation of God's on earth or the nation of Islam, it's the same teaching. I don't really feel that they were culpable or had any motive to do anything to him. I just don't believe that, you know. Whether he's broke off or splintered away you know he wasn't the only one Malcolm left you know my grandfather left so I don't think it would have benefited the nation of Islam to do anything to them you know in that sense like because they're still your child <laughs> you know what I'm saying like when a parent is mad at their child they don't kill a child you know you just got to deal with them you know and you work you work it out so nah I don't think the nation of Islam had anything to do with my grandfather's death or Malcolm X's death like I just think the people that was involved made it to appear that way. If you could bring divide amongst people, then you kind of conquer them, you win. So if we got all these strong-minded black people divided, we still winning. After my grandfather was murdered, my grandmother relocated out of Harlem. The mayor of New York relocated my grandmother. He found a, a, a place of residence like outside of Harlem to where, you know, like, if anybody felt a need to retaliate against his family, they didn't have the direct access to them, you know. They went from living in a housing project to a private house. So that's a big change. My grandmother worked. She worked as an early childhood educator. You know, she worked with, like, preschool and kindergarten. She loved teaching kids. That was one thing that... You know, I cherished about my grandmother so much. Like, she 
she was the master storyteller. She was your best friend. And she'd kick your ass if you got out of line. But, you know, she was like, she she wore many hats. She had to take care of her family, you know. Like, I think her and my grandfather already had that conversation. If anything ever happened to him, what she was going through. And that's what she did. You know, she took care of her children. And, you know, she lived her life the best way she could after that. I know my grandmother lived with a lot of sadness in her for a long time. You know, because she said that was the worst day of her life when they murdered my grandfather. They took her husband away. They took the father of her children away from her and their kids. Contrary to whatever was said out there about my grandfather was estranged from my grandmother, don't believe none of that, you know. For anybody out there listening, my grandfather loved my grandmother dearly, dearly, you know, and my grandmother loved my grandfather dearly, like to the extreme level of understanding when you love someone, you know, when someone you love dies and it's 20, 30 years later and you still love them like the first day you met them, you know, that's real, you know, so she had to carry on. You know, and she had to take care of the family and protect the kids. That was it. You know, she she did what she had to do. As her grandchild and my brothers and my cousins, as her grandchildren, like my grand my grandmother was a very caring, a very loving person. You know, very understanding person too. If I did something, or you know, like. I had got a phone call from school or, you know, something happened. My grandma will always want to hear my side of the story. She never take anything someone tells her on face value. She always told me this. It's two sides to the story, then there's the truth. She was always one to be in your corner and support you. If you had some dreams, you know, she encouraged you to follow your dreams, you know. And she was, she was adamant about, you know, school and obtaining an education. She always felt like, you know, being able to walk into different places and articulate yourself and handle yourself in a civilized and educated manner spoke volumes. You know, it meant more than having money. People can't deny your intelligence when it's right in front of them. They can't deny it. So, you know, when you walk into a place, you know, you always use the best tools that you have. You know, you use your intelligence. You use your, you know... Yeah, savoir fair, you know, if you could talk well or, you know, you got a good humor, you know, good sense of humor, you use the best qualities of yourself, you know what I'm saying? And you go out there and you make some type of headway and, you know, you learn as much as you could possibly learn. My grandmother was, um, she was an extraordinary woman, you know, to be as strong as she was, to go through what she went through and still hold it together and raise her children. You know, she never remarried. To the day she died, she loved my grandfather, you know, and she told me, she said, I married that man because I loved that man, and that's my husband. To the day he left me and to the day I go. She was old old school, man, old-fashioned, man. Like, you know, her values, you know, her sense of self-worth, you know, just we live in a time where everybody is just want to be famous and, you know, they want the spotlight, you know. My grandmother didn't want it. She really didn't want that spotlight. She seen what that spotlight really do. You know, it magnifies people, and some people just want to tear you down. 
They feel like you're getting too big or too many people love you. They got to tear you down. And we see it every day. We see it every day in the modern world, TV, Internet. So, you know, she had an understanding about that back then. I guess she knew that and she had to protect her family. My grandfather's death had an effect on my life. I wouldn't say a direct effect, but more like a trickle-down effect, you know. After my grandfather died, my mother, she wanted something that was opposite of what my grandfather was. Because she didn't want someone that meant so much to everybody else and didn't lose them. She had a relationship with my father. She fell in love with my father and had three sons by him. So, you know, that was a, you know, a real relationship. And, um... My father is like the polar opposite of my grandfather. But it's weird because now that he's older, it seemed like he didn't convert it. Like, you know, they all gone now. And like my father is like pro-black, pro-black, black, pro-black. And I be laughing because I'm like, oh, you with it now? And like he always been with it. It's just, you know, he was in the street life. He wasn't really in that type of arena as far as, you know, social awareness and, you know, upliftment of young people. So my father was like a um a street guy. He was like a hustler. Him and my mom's relationship was rocky. I mean, they had us in the seventies. They was living in the eighties, you know, and then by the time the nineties came, their relationship was like skirt screeching halt. We, I don't think we was the only family to go through that. You know, I think a lot of families went through that at that time. Because just the lifestyle, the culture, the lifestyle, everything was fast. Everybody was getting high. It was a whole bunch of money. So, you know, it was like, you know, people wasn't thinking about five and ten years later. You know, they wasn't thinking about the future. They was just thinking, of, they was just living. They was living in the moment they was in. Being that my grandfather wasn't physically here to navigate, a lot of things would have been a totally, totally different if my grandfather was alive, you know. My father might not even have been my father. Like, being technical, seriously. Like, you know, at that point in time in New York City, like, a lot of things was just bad. The crack epidemic had hit New York, and people was getting killed left and right in the street, and my mother and my aunt felt it was time for them to get us out of New York City. So we moved to the South. We lived down South for a few years, you know, and then we ultimately returned. We came back to New York. At that time, we was like preteens, going into teenagers. New York was still New York. This is 1990. When your mom's is primary, the only caregiver in the house. She had to wear the pants and the shoes, you know, so that's a lot of pressure, that's a lot of work. And when you got three sons, you know, not one son you can manage. Three? That's a lot of work. It was kind of a, like a very, very weird time, you know, especially for me growing up. And, you know, you know, you watch your moms go to work and when she get paid and she only has $60 left for herself after her paycheck. She didn't gave you and your brother's money for whatever little frivolous thing y'all want. And, you know, your mom's only got $60 left to her name to go back to work for a whole another two weeks till she get paid again. It, it left a very profound impact on me. It's just being a young kid, you know. And I, I think that was part of my grandfather's spirit in me that, you know, I wanted to help my moms. I didn't want my moms to be struggling and busting her ass to just buy me a pair of sneakers. I didn't look at it like that. 
I looked at it like, how can I make money for myself? Because I know she busting her ass for the little couple of coins that she's earning at her job. So I got involved in illicit things in the street, you know, like just being young and impressionable and, you know, you be around older dudes and, you know, they making money and they got shit and they like, yo, young bro, you want to make some money? Here. So, you know, I got introduced to the street game that way. It wasn't through my parents, you know, like it wasn't through my parents, uh, not even none of my older cousins, you know, like I was always just out there. I was already out there. I think that if my grandfather was alive, that would have never been an option. Like, cause you know, he was very militant, you know, so I think he would have had us on a whole different program. Being that we was his grandkids, he had greatness in his eyes set for us. You know, he'd have been like this. I, you going in the service, you going to be an engineer. And he would have made it happen. Like, cause that, that was his personality. It's a bunch of young guards from his projects. Foster, Martin Luther King Towers, when he lived there, that he sent to college. He sent them to college. He got them young brothers to graduate high school and wrote the school admissions. He wrote the deans and admissions office itself, and they was accepting them. A lot of you had guards that went to UCLA, Berkeley, like they was getting into these major schools, like, you know, so he would have definitely made sure we was on our path to education. You know, either it was through the military, through the service, or going to college. He would have orchestrated that himself, you know. But being that he wasn't there, the circumstances around my mother and my and my aunts, you know, like that drug culture was rampant at the time, you know. And it didn't mean that you came from bad family or you didn't come from good stock. Everybody was getting high. Like people drink energy drinks nowadays. That's how people was using drugs back then. So it was like it was more of a recreational and social thing. It wasn't so much, you know, taboo or frowned upon. At that time, you know, the drugs just like probably had a hold or a grip. Like not just on my parents, but society at that time. Like, you know, everybody was going through this shit. So, you know, my mother and um got away from it. You know, just consciously on themselves, knowing that, you know, they wasn't doing any good for themselves. You know, so they got away from it. We moved and then we came back to New York. So upon coming back, you know, I was older. I wasn't the same little kid I was when I left, you know. And I already been exposed to, you know, just certain things I've seen early on. You know, I seen people selling crack since about 1986. And I'm talking about from the Bronx to Harlem, to Brooklyn, to anywhere in New York. Like, I've seen people sell drugs. That was like the culture in New York at one time. I think that had a lot to do with my grandfather being killed too. Cause he had a, he, he had a way to like just empower the youth. You know, he had a way to connect to them. He had a way to uplift them. And whoever it was, just saw dollar signs, you know. They figured, man, I could pump all this drugs in the hood and make two, three million dollars. Cause back then, them guys was making that type of money. So if you come from a household where you ain't had no food in the fridge, you barely had clothes, your mother was maybe out, you know, doing illicit things to make ends meet, and you got an opportunity to make two, three million dollars and change your life, you gonna change your life. 
You know, at that time when my grandfather was assassinated, a lot of people went the other route. And a lot of the neighborhoods just got flooded with drugs. You know, you figure after 60, late 60s, going into the 70s, the drug problem just became rampant. And, you know, you had people in the communities that wasn't allowing it. You know, you had a Marcus Garvey wasn't allowing it. Malcolm X wasn't allowing it. As far as just the intelligence and the way they could talk to people and express the need to eliminate that intellectually, you know, I don't care how much money was in front of you. You know, your moral compass and your intellectual self say, yo, this shit is wrong. I don't want to do this. I got to find another way to make a million dollars. So they had to eliminate them people. They had to get them people out of there. Because if I want a community to stay at a certain level, I can't let them educate themselves. I can't let them be around other educated people and let them inspire them and instill this level of intelligence so that they could succeed. We got to pump them full of drugs and dumb their ass down and keep them high. So when we start taking things, they're not going to notice it because they doped up. If I come for your community, I'm coming for the prominent pieces of your land and you doped up and high, you're not going to fight for it. You're just going to lay there. I could swoop right in, take everything and walk right out. You know, so I think that was ultimately the plan, you know, to set us back another 30 years. Because within the, you figure from the 1930s to the 1960s, black people started doing good for themselves. College degrees. Well, you know, we had military veterans, you know, entertainers, actors, singers, entrepreneurs, you know. And then everything just come to a screeching halt. You know, like everybody didn't have to be Harry Belafonte. But you had a couple of Cliff Huxtables, too. You had a couple of black men that was becoming doctors, lawyers. So, you know, they had to, they, they, they had to pump the brakes on them. They had to pump the brakes on us. So the drugs and just the overall lack of males in the household, male fathers, black fathers in the household. Once you take a father out the household, the child is going to learn from the streets, the television, or wherever he can learn anything from. But when you have a father in the household, the children learn from their father. They learn from their mother. Once you take a father out of that household, man, like, pfft, it could go any way after that, you know? So, I mean, in this day and time, um, I feel it might be more important to teach them the lessons. You know, or just the younger kids, the generation younger than me and under me. You know, I think it's important that they actually have a scale that they could use as far as just with governing their life and dealing with everything within existence. If there's no, like, no scales or no limits, you know, we'd be living in chaos. People would be going crazy. But, you know, with a scale and with limits, you could have some type of balance or order in your life, you know. So I think the lessons are really important in this day and time because you got a lot of kids that just want to be famous. They want fame. They want the, 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 the attention. They want the um, admiration. But there's no work behind it. You know, they just want people to like them just to like them. We're becoming lost. 
the the younger generation is like I feel like you know if we want to build them to be leaders we have to get back into being very very astute and just paying attention to politics economics and self-awareness and things that we need to do for ourselves in our own communities we are damn near in 2020 2020 and the police still kill young black men and don't go to jail so we talking about things that happened in 1920 that still happened in a hundred years later with all this technology all of these laws and nothing's changed you know so i think it's more important now than ever that young black kids learn these lessons and have this knowledge of who they are and what's in front of them you know because if you can see what's in front of you you could deal with it if you blind to what's in front of you you're gonna stumble you're gonna walk right into it and just fall over and but if you can see it if you have that understanding you know your third eye is open and you see it you're not gonna fall for it so i think the kids need it more so now we live in a society where everybody is on their phone telling all of their business nothing is sacred nothing is just important for self or family everything is to be broadcast and told to the world it's bad because people are doing things that normally would be shunned upon but person hit the like button this person became famous for cooning or clowning themselves you know and it's like it's disheartening you know to know that Young people are not living for themselves, you know. They're living for the opinions of others, you know. They're not striving for greatness because they want to be great. They just doing stuff because they want people to like it. I'd rather you respect my work than like my work. You ain't got to like it, but if you say, you know what, I, I could respect it. That means you got the message out of my work and you understand me. You ain't got to like me, but you understand me, you know, so... I think it's more important in this day and time when we have a lot of false prophets, you know, we have a lot of manipulators, even with just our government. I think we got a lot of good people in our government, and then I think we got a lot of bullshit people in our government. When you got a small group fighting a big group, you know, it's a long fight. I think if we educate our youth with positive education, it will make a difference in the future as far as the way we conduct ourselves as young men. A lot of us wasn't taught how to be men. So how am I going to be a man if no one taught me? You know, like my mother could raise me to be a decent young man, but she don't know how to teach me to be a young man because she's a woman. She's not a man. Only a man could teach another young man how to be a man. So ultimately, that's what the lessons is going to go back to. That young man empowered himself to conduct himself as a positive person. And when he has his offspring, he's going to conduct him and raise him and, 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 and teach him the importance of conducting yourself as a positive young man. You know, so I think it's more important now than 40 years ago, 50 years ago when my grandfather and them was doing it for the babies. I think it's really important now for people to know who they are because everybody gets caught up in the... Um, a forced reality you know anyone can make themselves appear a certain way on the internet but is that really who you are nah 
I think knowledge yourself is very important in this day and time. You know, just to have something that you hold dear to and it's going to help you guide yourself, you know, guide your life in a, in a, in a right and positive manner.